Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy weekly podcast, where Rethink Energy team talk about the technology behind this week's energy news. I'm CEO Peter White and today we don't have our editor, Bogdan Avramuta, but we're going to talk about one of the, the stories he wrote. But we do have uh, solar analyst Andreas Fontenar. Hello. And we do have EV analyst uh, Connor Watts. Hello. And product manager Simon Thompson. May the fourth be with you. <laughs> All this discussion is built around stories published last night on our weekly analysis subscription service. If you want to sample this service, go to our website at www.rethinkresearch.biz and click on energy and ask for a free trial and we will send you it. Um, in this week's issue, we've taken an in-depth look at the huge demand in platinum that's going to be stimulated by pen electrolyzers over time and of course fuel cells as well. We're going to look at what this will do in the future to the price of platinum. Um, we also have a taste of Q1 solar production figures which are up either 50% or 100% depending on how you count them. And finally in the US um, the Republican Party with the help of the Democrat Senator Manchin seemed determined to crush the Inflation Reduction Act by passing another act, which cuts federal spending dramatically. Finally, Simon, I'll ask a couple of questions about one or two of the short items. But first, I'm going to take us through Bogdan's story on the price of platinum and what's likely to happen to it in the future. This was interesting because we've been looking at, at materials in battery, we've been looking at materials in solar and their price increases. And we're starting to get a handle on how to forecast um, um, such spikes in demand. And um, while right now, um, the hydrogen industry, whether you're talking about hydrogen fuel cells or uh, electrolyzers, um, they um, takes a tiny fraction of the platinum that's available. And more of it is used in uh, the automotive industry um, and, uh, and just in industry at large. Um, over time, by about 2040, we, we see the uh, electrolyzer market ramping up until it takes over 80% of the platinum on the market. And even though given time to uh, ramp production, and uh, ramp mining with a long sustained price increase, we still see prices on platinum peaking in about 2040, about four times the current price, if not above that. All, all set by sucking up all the um, supply into the electrolyzer market. We predict that um, the electrolyzer market will operate 3.8 terawatts of capacity by 2040. And there's a split here between PEM electrolyzers and alkaline, broadly splitting the market in two. PEM electrolyzers are cheaper. Um, there are other advantages to alkaline, but the issue here is that um, the PEM electrolyzers use platinum. The cost of platinum, even if it increases by a factor of four or five, still won't make the cost of uh, alkaline electrolyzers uh, cheaper by itself. But over learning curve, over a period of time, perhaps alkaline electrolyzers will come down to below PEM electrolyzer price. And eventually, post-2040, the demand the peak demand in platinum will fall back again and fall back on uh, its current application base. So um, 
this is just a warning, really. It's a long shot warning way into the future, effectively saying that if you are trading in platinum, um, there is a basis for more mining based around use in PEM electrolysis. Can you just remind us of the qualities of platinum and uh, why it is, uh, why it's, is it necessary? Can you use an alternative for these machines? This is without factoring in breakthroughs. There's not just alternatives. There's a lot of catalyst research, especially based in, um, you know, Kyoto University and other universities in Japan, um, where what they're looking at are things like catalysts and co-catalysts. A co-catalyst is is a a material which, when in the presence of a catalyst, increases the effect of the catalyst and therefore allows you to use less of it or or, or or for the process to go faster. And so either way, you know, a breakthrough there would would have uh, a material effect on the amount of platinum that the electrolyzer market uh, absorbed. I mean, this is true of, I mean, I think it's, it's most fascinating when you look at the battery market and you see the dire warnings that everybody gave about cobalt. And we all know that cobalt is um, um, 70% of it comes from uh, the Congo where a lot of child labor has yeah. been used. And, and while some may have a, a clean passport um, of material from the Congo, there's really, there was really quite a lot of panic around, um, is there enough cobalt anywhere else on the planet uh-huh. for us to keep up the speed of um, electric vehicles? But the market's always ahead. I mean, people were already looking to use batteries without cobalt in them and putting a lot of their R&D effort into that. And we're starting to see the fruits of that labour. And and as we project forward, we see that cobalt is probably not even going to fully qualify for the title of being rare once the battery industry has stopped using it, which which may be some way off yet. And when cobalt is used in the cathode of lithium-ion batteries, it's still it's still uh, a high, achieving higher den- energy densities than any other form. Um, but there are compromises and there are replacements and there are much, much cheaper materials. And and so we see that what happens is an R&D effort immediately ensues because we're looking to avoid a shortfall or we're looking to match uh, the performance improvement. And so the markets are, are quite clever and that anybody who uh, sees this platinum um, spike coming um, and, and it is, and it is, you know, something like fifteen years away. Not, not for its first effects. It's probably three or four years away. The first effects, but then it'll start mounting a charge in price. They, they're looking for replacements now, and uh, I'm sure there's a PhD somewhere who's saying, if only they would use my my work, they would realise um, that you wouldn't need hardly any platinum or or no platinum at all. So. Yeah, yeah, of course that's going on. And I, I don't think we can forecast breakthroughs. We've got to work with what we have. And it, it looks like, um, so all three, or correct me if I'm wrong, but all three of the electrolyzer types use platinum. So even if they can shift yeah, to a different material. I don't think so. No, I think only the only the proton exchange membrane okay. um, but, is, but is platinum. Certainly the proton exchange mem- membrane has advantages that will lead to it. Uh, wanting to be, you know, people wanting to use it, even if the platinum issue develops, uh, and and because there are these alternatives to platinum, 
they can be switched to. So they won't crush the protonics membrane development. They'll just make it a bit more expensive for a few years. It looks like the, demand, the global demand for platinum doubles um, in the space of like six years from 2028, judging by this graph of, of Bogdan's. Yeah, it does. And 80% of it gets absorbed by, well, it's funny, at the same time, you know, we're looking at catalytic converters used in ICE vehicles. Well, they, tend, they tend to be used uh, uh, on the larger uh, engines, the luxury end of the market more. So, and they use platinum. Well, that goes away as the electric market takes over. So at the, at the same time, we've got some um, uh, chunks of the platinum demand falling away uh, for much of the same reason, you know, for, because of electrification um, of, of transport. On the reverse side of that, we'll see a rise in um, fuel cells in trucks. Um, and so we'll see some uptake from, from another part of the transport sector. So, so it's, yeah, I mean, it is dynamic and it, some's going down and some's going up. It's just a case of modelling this. I think Bogdan's done a great job of modelling this, and I think um, it it's it's a real really sets the anybody who's out there inventing something for the clean energy market has to look at what it will do to the raw materials if if the uptake becomes large. And we know from the the dollars being spent on this in the electrolyzer market, PEM uptake will accelerate, and it'll accelerate because right now per um, kilowatt of electrolyzer capacity, PEM is cheaper than, than alkaline by, by two or $300. I'm just catching up on reading this because I've been traveling and, you know, I've just seen that later on in Bogdan's article, he actually shows um, PEM, it, it's, a, it's a nice fraction, perhaps a third of electrolyzers uh, up until 2040, and then it sort of falls off and even falls away to nothing. Um, and that's... that's um, Literally, we're assuming that the price on alkaline can match it, and then then the spike in in platinum cost is a disincentive, and we think that doesn't cut in until twenty forty. Pending breakthroughs, you know, and we'll cover any breakthroughs here on Rethink Energy. Um, we we did cover them a few years ago. There's certainly R and D going on um, to either bypass or move to a different rare, rare earth catalysts um but um again they all have high costs so so we'll see once somebody um takes something to market we'll get a very clear indication uh, moving on moving on we we do this thing for everybody who doesn't hasn't followed our solar um coverage we 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 monitor both the um install rate of solar and the manufacturing rate we try to bring them together to resolve uh, what they might point in different directions. Um, and you've done a Q1 solar manufacturing upgrade. So tell us about that. Oh, well, a lot of the stats work is actually from like a couple of weeks ago, um, the long article we published. Um, so this is more, you know, it, it does have the numbers, but um, th this is just me still failing to uh, emotionally believe that the industry is growing by 50% per year. So I keep I keep writing articles to persuade myself that it's actually happening. Because the way... Is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, year on year, the Q1 figures are up um, between 50% to 100%, depending on what you look at. Wafer production is up 100% compared to back in Q1 uh, in March 22. If you compare that to March 2023, 
the, the number has just doubled. Um, it, it's simply up by, it's twice. And, and you can look at all sorts of other things, which I did, again, to just reassure myself. There's a, a rolled glass production. Um, there's individual companies, which is sort of reliable when you're looking at all of the big ones. Um, and They all have public statements on their output, on their capacity. Yeah, well, both their output and, and, their, uh, and their new production capacity um, and, and their current shipments... And, uh, you know, that's it's kind of old news to say that it's growing by 50% per year. Um, it's been going on for about nine months now. The, 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 the sort of weird thing is that we've gone from, I believe, about 341 wafers. I, I, I like to use that particular segment of the industry because for convenience. About 350 gigaw- three, 340 gigawatts of wafers were manufactured last year. And looking at how it's going month by month this year, I think it will be 600, so almost double this year. Um, but the weirdest thing is that that's with the existing production capacity and plus a little bit more that's built during the year. But they're, they're announcing new factories. Like the, the stream of factory announcements hasn't slowed. So, you know, I, I've probably said this a couple of times before too because I still can't... I still can't quite believe it emotionally, so I still find it interesting to cover. Uh, so it's not going to be 600 next year. It'll be even bigger. And I just find that quite extreme. And I guess... Yeah, because, no, because... I, mean, I think you've got to get your head around a couple of facts. Um, hmm. Number one, China works to a five-year plan, not profit and loss. And as a result, it has a plan and it sticks to it even if it no longer makes sense. So if there is overcapacity in the market... Um, someone's got to put a reduction in the plan to uh, to, to reel it in. Um, they will just keep making them. That does not mean that they will definitely get to market and install them. However, it, in the solar industry, it has meant that. And there is, there is of course, insight in these companies because they don't want to be making stuff that's going to be inventory lying around. Um, there is insight into what the world will absorb and they... And they Obviously, they have virtually a monopoly on global solar capacity supply. So they, they know who all the customers are and they know what the solar, the customers say they want next year. So, so they, they've got great feedback from the market. And so they're, when they invest in manufacturing, it's for a reason, not just um, a five-year plan reason. But even so, you just have to be careful. Any market that's growing at this speed breaks and it breaks on the one occasion when everyone forecasts 100% growth and what they get is 50. Um, but And it only breaks that year and it causes mayhem. Um, so I don't. I think you're right, it won't break next year or the year after, but we can't um, forecast this out infinitum, ad infinitum. Well, I guess it will break in 2026 then. <laughs> There's absolutely no inventory. It's literally from, uh, it just goes straight from manufacturer to installer straight away is that is that what we're, we're th- no uh, you know I, I never i always found it strange when i look at the manufacturing figures for one year and the installation figures for the next year and they match up which suggests mm. that in total the it actually takes that long from beginning to make polysilicon to actually commissioning switching on the solar plant at 12 months that seems awfully long because no one wants to just sit on a good for that long and i think the explanation is probably Partly that the solar modules are not hugely expensive, com- you know, compared to the rest of the project. They're only uh, forty percent 
in a utility scale plant and even less for rooftops. So it can make some sense to have to, to, to tolerate some delays there. I was at this conference, um, smart energy conference. I was talking to this company that prefabricates uh, the the racks. They have a special mounting solution. And they were, you know, of course they're biased, but they were bragging about how everyone else has a 12-month delay from buying the module to installing it. And we only have three months. Well, actually, three months is actually something of a delay still, <laughs> even, you know. So it, it's surprisingly long in answer mm. to that question. I mean, you, you have to order it. You have to go. You have to ask about it and say, we want to, this capacity. Can we book it? And then you have to go through getting your project to fully be funded and then you have to order it and then it has to go into a, uh, a queue by the docks and then it has to go on a ship and it has to come out the other end and go through a distributor and go out through his channels and then sit somewhere in a depot while you're you're marrying up the dates of precisely when you want it uh, yeah I mean a year could, could easily go by especially you know the first modules might get installed a project months before the last one gets installed and you switch it on yeah yeah and then somewhere you somewhere someone's storing them even if it's the eventual buyer um is storing them on site you know before they finish it off but um yeah so it's it's not just in time planning at this stage i would have thought it's um it's well off that but but there's like oil when we can't sell all the barrels of oil they go into storage we can't sell all the gas it goes into storage and it's great that you've got that buffer there because the market can operate uh, fluidly. You know, it'd be terrible if you say, "Oh, the ship hasn't arrived yet, and we've run out. We can't, we can't deliver your your panels." So, so somewhere in there, there are pockets of uh, of distri- distribution uh, on its way. And anyway, it's getting so diverse now. Your solar panel is is, is almost made specifically for you. You're saying. I only want this size in these materials at this effectiveness, this design with this amount of silver paste and this amount of promised output. And I don't want the other ones. Thank you very much. You know, that you use your other models and it is getting more diverse so that it's more and more specialist. Moving along, moving along. It's, it's always fun to talk about the American politics, uh, even because it's so it seems from the outside so dysfunctional and because it doesn't affect us directly. But but it affects this story. Here we are doubling the size of the solar market because of the demand that's out there and America trying its hardest to take both barrels and, sh- and aim it at its feet uh, and blow away all of the jobs in solar in the name of keeping the US solar manufacturing industry alive which employs a handful of people. Um, and you, Andres, you also wrote the story about House Republicans plus Senator Manchin um, trying to kill off the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, and I think our, our earlier coverage about the moratorium, when this came up a couple of weeks ago, I think you and I both said it'll probably just get vetoed and it's not that serious. And, I, and, and they actually, the, the House of Representatives actually voted to uh, get rid of the, the tariff moratorium on all of these modules from Southeast Asia, which is at least half of America's supply of modules. Uh, so it would be catastrophic if it happened. And I still, he's probably, so, uh, he probably how has can the government, How can any branch of government 
suddenly th think that. that they, they're taking the decision and, and they've got every right to think that it could be signed into law and they're, and they're, they're immediately slashing thousands of green jobs. I, that's, I, that's insane. I just checked and apparently, uh, you know, because I've been traveling, so I haven't checked the news that closely. We're still waiting for the Biden, the Biden veto on that. And yeah, it is, it is just a kind of sabotage. But the worst part of it is not just for developers, but actually um, I, I'm pretty sure we're still at the stage where you've got a bunch of American module makers who would quite like to import Southeast Asian cells. And I might have to go back and check one of my, some of my old articles, but uh, Maybe even cell makers in America would quite like to be importing wafers from Southeast Asia, and maybe the wafers would uh, get messed up by these tariffs. I don't quite remember if it covers wafers. So it's not even helping the manufacturers in America. Because, no, it's not. It's you not. Know, they, they can't put the car before the horse. They need to make the downstream before they make the upstream of the supply chain. Um, but that's probably not that interesting because he's probably just going to veto it. Uh, he did say he would. And... Then, then so this got... Limit Save Grow Act, what, what, what's that all about? Well, it, it, the Republicans have a, a majority in the House of Representatives, so it's not exactly surprising to, to see them try to limit the spending of the Biden administration. Um, uh, and this is the typical thing to, I think we've probably all heard about the, the debt ceiling before. That's a, a classic way to attack uh, spending. You, you refuse to You refuse to raise the debt ceiling. Now, I might be getting confused with a different thing, the government shut shutdown. But if you refuse to raise the debt ceiling, then the government can't fund its operations. And so things have to just shut down. And then, of course, everyone gets pissed off because they're trying to use things that don't work. So it, it's kind of a nuclear, it, it's a game of chicken. And the Republicans can do some things uh, with just the House of Representatives. But in the Senate, I'm not quite sure uh, what's going on with Manchin because... If he votes with the Republicans, it doesn't. That's not a majority. That's still only fifty-fifty, um, which gets broken in, uh, by the vice president's uh, tiebreaker vote. So probably it's Mansion, and then implicitly, if he takes all the hate and all the heat of um, of signing against the the administration, then maybe Kirsten Cinema of, of Arizona would also join him again. The the dynamic duo that we wrote about about. And tip the balance, yeah. yeah. It, it's a strange. It, in, in, in most countries, um, nobody ever uh, agrees with the opposition um, out of principle. There is a kind of, uh, we call it the whip in the UK, where, where you have to uh, vote the way the government asks you to. Um, and it's quite strong. But in America, it seems to be fairly cavalier. You can change your vote to what you like. Um, and you can't be kicked out of the party. And don't forget, the last time I looked, the, uh, the, well, the claims from the oil industry that there are one million jobs counting on, you know, oil distribution, oil um, uh, drilling, and so on. So yeah, but, that, but, but Biden hasn't. Be... I mean, that's not true. That's a much lower number. But Biden has not interfered with that. He has been uh, criticised for being too oil friendly because he's he's allowed new areas of exploration. So he's he's played ball there. Look, this all in the long run, this all plays out through economics. The oil industry loses its power to um, influence everybody when it no longer makes lots and lots of money. Uh, it needs time for the EV revolution to take its toll. It will it will start taking its toll in the late twenties. Then there's there's no point in doing oil exploration 
because you'll have so much oil that you won't be able to get it out of the ground uh, and but before EVs take over the whole um, the whole range of transport. So eventually this stuff fixes itself without politicians intervening. The politicians can push it in the wrong direction for a short period of time. We saw it with Trump. When Trump was in power, he tried to say that wind, wind turbines and solar panels were bad and oil and coal was good. Uh, but the industry kept pushing and pushing and pushing and taking us down the green route. So, you know, and it's all because solar panels are now so cheap and solar energy is so cheap, it becomes an irresistible economic force. People keep forgetting this, but governments, especially the American government, can get in the way of progress. How did Senator Manchin get to be the chair of the Energy and Natural Resources Senate Committee? Probably from back when it was a 50-50 Senate, so they had to be really nice to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get you the new job. Okay. Simon, anything you've seen that um, makes you reach for an explanation? Well, yes. In fact, it leads on from just, uh, from what we've just been talking about. And there's a, um, a, a little item in our worth noting section about US EV sales um, going up 66% growth year on year. Do, is that a record? Is that like, uh, does any other country match that? Uh, Connor? Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. um, in terms of percentage increase, there'll be mm. some smaller countries that are about that. Mm. But in terms of share volume, the US is still quite far behind uh, okay. China and Europe. So in our model, we, we often see uh, you know, a, a kind of exploratory half a percent of total cars sold are EVs in, in, in a first year that they're available in the market, and then one and a half and then three and a half percent and then five percent and and this has just reached seven percent so we see that as a progression under the rule of thumb uh, law that says if i can afford one i want one and i know someone who's got one the more people that have got evs the more people start to see them as an object of desire and go after them and that's how that model rolls out america is behind where it should where, where we thought it would be because its incentives to buy EVs have not been um, open-handed. They've been limited to things like you've got to use union labour, you're only allowed 250,000 cars to be subsidised from your, from your production line. It had limits on, on, on subsidies, whereas Europe and China did not. Uh, it still has some limits on subsidies, but they're much more open under the Inflation Reduction Act. So it's, it's, much, it's behaving much more like the other economies now, but playing catch-up. It's kind of said, sorry, Connor, I took all your thunder away. No, 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 that's fine. Uh, what's actually interesting about that entry in the worth notings isn't so much the numbers, but it's that in third place is General Motors, Chevy, Bolt, EV and EUV, which is the third best selling EV in the US as of right now. At the end of this year, that vehicle is being discontinued. How strange. And that, exactly. It's the third best selling EV in the US. It's been a massive success for GM in general minus a bit of a recall issue with LG's batteries, and they're seemingly discontinuing the line. It seems like a pretty massive own goal for GM. Oh, I don't know about that. I think it's an old design. I think there'll be something replacing the Chevy Bolt in the model range, which looks similar. It's a similar spec car, but it's slightly more efficient and a bit cheaper. Um, I agree. But at the same time, it just it feels like a bit of a waste to get rid of the brand. It is like the Nissan Leaf. You know, it's been... 
it's an EV that's been selling for years, and um, and you, you, what's lovely about the Nissan Leaf is, is it's got a sec, its own second-hand market now. Um, and if you want a cheap EV, you can you can buy them all over the world. In uh, uh, you know, a Nis, you pick a Nissan Leaf, and you can pick one up for five or six thousand or, or less. So um, yeah, I'm sure sure that's definitely. Uh, going to be the case with the Chevy Bolt, but as you say, there were some design flaws in the batteries. Uh, LG took a major hit uh, replacing them all, and they probably are, are rethinking their battery strategy, GM, right now. So, sure as I'll hope so. So, do all car manufacturers now have in in the US now have a deal with with a, a battery manufacturer? If you go to our Gigafactory reports, um, you can see in detail. Who's working with who? Off the top of my head, well, Connor, you, you can say, but I mean, we know that um, that Ford deals with multiple companies, and we know that GM is t- is tied to LG pretty much. Plus, its own design, its own designers have been affecting the design. Um, we know that Ford has now got a, um, a an intellectual property agreement with uh, CATL, and we'll be. De- building a factory to make LFP batteries, which we understand is under license from CATL using its technology. So everyone's got a piece of the American market. And the message to everyone is, if you want to be on the IRA subsidy list, you've got to build a factory here and supply us with some jobs. And everybody is doing that at least once. Volkswagen's just committed to a new factory there. Companies like Samsung certainly have a piece of the action, I think, at Ford remember um but where they're making a factory for a particular set of models the only uh automakers we haven't really heard of at least not in large quantities are the japanese so we've seen a lot of movement from south korean from european and from american companies looking to establish more manufacturing bases in north america this has mostly been working alongside japanese and south korean battery makers but we haven't seen too much movement from companies like Nissan or Toyota, yeah, notably. Existing customers can can go back and look at the Gigafactories report and, and see where all the um, car makers are getting their batteries from all over the world. Uh, although that's due a refresh in the next quarter, and Connor will be doing that in the in the issue, um, I think, uh, sometime in the next two or three months. But, um, yeah, we keep track of all the factories that are announced by all the big companies. Um, we are, you know, strangely, uh, Toyota is in this position where it's saying, oh, but come 2025 or six, it'll launch 30 new models and it will make its own batteries. But in the meantime, it's got a deal with Chinese providers. It's very dangerous if you're in the uh, cheap end of the car market for most of your technology to be coming from someone that you don't control. And Toyota's put itself in that position and it's precarious. Um, good luck, the new CEO. Speaking of Toyota, if I could add a quick one. Toyota, first of all, has changed its goals when it comes to EV output in 2026, down from 30 to 10 new EVs. So that's been pretty significantly consolidated, but it'll still struggle to meet that, I think, in the current amount of time it has left. And it just launched a new hydrogen passenger car. Hopefully, that's just a remnant of um, effectively flushing out the influence of the old CEO. But 
that's not a good start. Yeah, but its strategy, that's inside Japan, is very different from its strategy when it's got a supply at places like Europe um, and America. So, um, and and that's not abundantly clear what that what you know who its partners are in those in those markets. So we'll we'll expect those markets to change more radically sooner. But, but Japan is just being a law unto itself at the moment. It still thinks hydrogen is the answer. What was the question? <laughs> Any other time? Well, yeah, um, a couple of countries that we don't normally, what we, we write about, we don't talk about. So South Africa um, is suffering from rolling blackouts. And there's the electricity minister, it says, is um, is putting in a, 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 a window for procurement of renewables. So, um, to, well, isn't South Africa, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't South Africa one of the, the, the isn't it dependent on coal mostly for its electricity? For its uh, power, is that correct? Yeah, um, it is. It is a response. Yeah, most, mostly reliant on coal, but it's just done a big ten billion dollar deal with um, a variety of countries to um, subsidise its shift, accelerate its shift into renewables. And that's, I mean, first came up about a year ago, and I think it's been signed by now. So I think, yeah, that they've got a a, a bit of a plan to shift off of coal. Um, slightly quicker than they they were, but it, you know it's pretty much that's where they are right now. And it's not just on the national level. There's also like um, obviously individuals get solar plus storage when there's blackouts, um, and also entire municipalities are looking into the microgrids. Uh, did, didn't you write about ESCOM, the the big uh, South African power producer? No, I haven't written about it for a while. Okay, it's a bit that depressing. It, it's yeah in in, in uh, like bereft well in debt and can't get out of a hole uh, yeah unfortunately if you your government has got a um it's 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 got a duty to provide energy for its industrial strategy and for its people um you know uh, so sometimes you you let a monopoly energy provider uh, running run in heavy debt but some some stage someone's got to do something about it. It kind of links back to the platinum story because South Africa's energy woes quite directly impact platinum supply due to the energy requirements of extraction. And of South Africa is a mining major outside of platinum as well. I know that it's a significant majority of the world's manganese supply. And so there's been impacts of Eskom's failures and the uh, problems caused by the rolling blackouts of shifting energy from mine production to residential areas that um, hopefully will be solved someday, but not anytime soon, I doubt. I mean, right the way across Africa, you've either got rampant growth like you've got in Nigeria, you've got... You've got... Um, a, a slightly uh, industrial site like you have in South Africa, but you still have rolling blackouts all over the place. And you have a, the amount of electricity delivered to each home, a fraction of what it is in Western Europe, America or China. Um, and, and people have to live with, they, they get lighting for four hours a day so they can cook and read. And the rest of the time, the electricity is, is really unreliable. It, it, it kills any industrial strategy and every company operate every mining company wants its own power there um which is it should be a hotbed of um of solar 
um, because that's the best way of doing it. Anyway, all of these stories are more um, in our bumper issue, about 34 pages long. Rethink Energy came out this week. If you haven't got a subscription, you won't know what else we wrote about. Go to www.rethinkresearch.biz, click on Energy, and something will pop up asking for your name and if you'd like a trial. So um, do that. Look at the forecast and data section. Uh, it's just a tab. And what it will take you to is all the recent research that we've published, forecasting mostly out to 2050. That's the end of this podcast. We'll be back again next week. Bogdan will be back in the chair and we'll see you then.